Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, good morning. I don't know if you were expecting a little Whitney Houston today, but hopefully you're enjoying our, uh, our prom season covers. Uh, we're trying to catch as many uh, demographics, as many decades as we can. So if we have not played a song from your decade yet, just keep coming back. Maybe next week uh, we'll have your decade. Maybe you're just really old and we won't have your decade. I don't know. Maybe there wasn't recorded music when you went to prom or I, I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, but, but that was fun just to, to get us in the mood there and, uh, and, and go back in time to that uh, period. Speaking of Prom, we're, we're in this three-week series. Uh, we're calling this uh, prom season things you worried about in high school that, that won't go away. And uh, all of us know that, that there was no time more exciting than prom when we were in high school. Love was in the air and couples were matching up and people were renting tuxedos, some of them white. I remember my junior year, I got the tuxedo that didn't have a tie and I thought it was awesome. In hindsight, it was a little early 90s. I shouldn't have done it. But uh, we're, we're all coupling up and renting limos and, and uh, you're trying to figure out, do I get to travel with this group? Are we, are we getting a party bus? What's going on? Am I cool? Who's my date? And uh, honestly, as, as life goes on, some of those same insecurities kind of resurface or they're things that we uh, still worry about. And so last week, we talked about defining the relationship. We talked about what it looks like uh, to, to learn from God's design of marriage and what it looks like to be the couple that he intended and also what we can learn from that uh, as we learn his love for us. And so this week, we want to dive into the topic of friendship. Now, friendship is one of those big lightning rods. You've probably seen uh, cliques break up in high school over this. You know, sometimes people go to prom as a group. Sometimes they're they're hanging out together, and sometimes one person gets left off because of who their date was or anything. And so I've seen uh, entire friend circles erode. I saw some really dramatic years when I was a student pastor where prom would just blow things up on a 90210 time scale, and it was just bad. So I don't know if your life is filled with drama like that anymore, but my guess is uh, whether you're going to prom this this year or not, uh, I'm thinking that, that you've probably, you, you have something relationally that puts a little stress on your life. It might be with siblings, it might be with people at work, it might be with some friends of yours that are always coming to you with, with their problems or things that you're, you're always talking about. And so friendship is something that we want to just park on today and talk about because as Christ followers, we are called to be light and make a difference in this world. And if I can be blunt just for a second, uh, sometimes when I look at the way Christ followers are Christians live out friendship, we're doing a terrible job of that. We're, we're, we're imperfect people representing a, a perfect God and a perfect love, a, a perfect gospel, perfect message. And so sometimes friendship is one of the areas that we fall short the most. And so this morning, we want to just talk about what does it look like as we look at scripture to be a genuine friend? What does it look like to represent God's friendship to us? And, and what does it look like for our lives to embody that? And so I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you've got a Bible today, there should be one under your seat, one in front of you, behind you, somewhere there. We're going to be in that Bible on page 225. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, or if you want that to be your copy of the Bible, I want to invite you to take that Bible home with you. Every week I talk to people that say, hey, are you, are you serious about the Bible? I almost took one last week. And I'm like, yes, I'm very serious. We want you to have that Bible. So if you want to take that home, if you like that translation, if that's one that you want to read over the lunch hour or whatever you want, that Bible is our gift to you. But we want to be in 1 Samuel 18 today, verse 1 on page 225. And the backdrop for this is going to be looking at the life of King David and some different things in his life. And many of you know that the nation of Israel 
was the nation that, that God was, was linked with. He had made a covenant with them. They were his people. And all throughout the Old Testament, God journeyed with the nation of Israel. And they, they wanted a king. And eventually this man named Saul was made their king. And if we were going to give Saul a grade on being a king, he might have passed. I don't know. But he wasn't the greatest king ever. Honestly, he was a guy who didn't walk with God, who didn't lead God's people as God wanted. And so eventually, it came up that uh, he wasn't going to be the king anymore. And God appointed a man named David to be the king of Israel. Now, most of you know the story of David. Before he was really coming to be famous, he was on his way to work for the king. He was going to be a harp player. He was going to be his armor bearer and a lot of things like that. But the reason that we know David is because he defeated Goliath in that classic kid story that maybe your grandma told you or maybe you learned in Sunday school, right? And so uh, we, we, all know, we all know that story. And maybe in Sunday school, you got to play Goliath if you were the tall kid. Uh, I always wanted to be David so I could throw rocks at other kids. But either way, we all know the story. We, went, we know what David did. And uh, we know that as that was happening, David was growing in popularity. I mean, he was already a good looking guy. He played the harp. Admit it, ladies, if someone could play the harp, that would be pretty awesome. Them, right? Uh, it, was, it was their version of the piano, right? So he was like a, a, an old school John Legend type, all right? Except he was also a great warrior. So what could be more attractive than that? So his, his, national, uh, his national image was, was growing and people were talking about him and they knew that he was going to be the king and word was getting out and people were starting to say, this guy is great. And so Saul, who had been the king, took this as a huge threat. And so their relationship, as you can imagine, not the best relationship, Right? Maybe, maybe you, could, you could look at it, uh, current political uh, landscape. Sometimes we pit the outgoing president and the ingoing president against each other if there's a switch of parties and that they're not on the same page. Well, that's the backdrop for this. We've got David and we've got Saul, and they're kind of pitted against each other, but we've also got Saul's son, Jonathan. And we want to look at David and Jonathan's relationship today as we look at an example of friendship. So page 225, 1 Samuel 18. Let me read verse 1. It says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, just if they, as they had met and interacted and, and some of the story, the backdrop we said, it says this, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. And so that's the first interaction we see between these two guys. And, and if, you, uh, if you're sitting next to a guy, you probably know that guys don't like to say that, uh, that they, they love another guy more than they love themselves, right? That's probably not what, what someone would say. And I've even, I've even heard people say, guys aren't friends like that. Those, those two must have had a relationship. They must have been romantically linked. And there are people that look back on this, this passage and I think take it way out of context and, and misconstrued. And the reality is, we're seeing two guys that instantly had that moment, maybe you've seen a movie where they say, did we just become best friends? They have that moment where they look at each other and think, yeah, that just happened. We're talking. We have everything in common. We are now best friends. Some of you uh, might have been here a few weeks ago. Uh, I had my friend from Covenant Church in Grove City, Travis Davenport, come in and speak when I was gone. And he's a redhead, also from the Worcester area, who ended up being a youth pastor and then a church planner in Columbus. And we had that moment my sophomore year of high school. He'd been a year older than me, and, and we were always kind of, we knew of each other. And one day we were talking after school, and we looked at each other and we just thought, 
wait, we're, we're both redheads from this tiny small town that want to be church planners and pastors? We need to have a sleepover. And so that's that, literally like that night, we went and saw, we were just like, we got to find something to do. And we went and saw this terrible remake of Godzilla in like 1998 or something. And it was awful. But I always joked that it was our first time hanging out and it set the tone for a, a weird relationship, right? But, but we have that moment. You guys know that sometimes you just connect with someone. It might have been the roommate that your college randomly put you with. It might have been someone that moved down the street from you. It may be your cousin, but sometimes you just meet someone and you're like, yep, heart and soul. We're friends. I get you. I love you. I'm committed to you. And that's what we're seeing here with these guys. We're seeing that, that even though uh, Jonathan's father, Saul, was, was not a fan of David and was threatened by him, and it says there he made him, he wouldn't let him return home, and so he got to stay in the palace. You could also call that their version of house arrest. He was watching him, this guy that he knew God was going to make the king and take his job. He was keeping an eye on him, and so if someone's dad puts you on house arrest, you're not like, hey, we should be besties. We should be friends right? And, and yet that's their relationship. And instantly they're, they're, they're trading things there. He's giving him his robe and his tunic and all this stuff. And, and they're friends. They should have been rivals, but they just connected. We see that. And, and I love it because sometimes in scripture, I think we, we read things and we just think like, were these people friends or were they just doing ministry beside each other? Or were they just leaders? Is this just what was happening? And this is an example of two guys just being bros, right? Just, just being friends and, and connecting. And so I think their, their relationship is, is, is maybe in some ways, it's, it's similar to the, the love that a, that a mother or a parent has. Sometimes when, when we see a, a mother, we think, man, what's she getting out of that? That kid just cries and spits up all day and then it gets older and starts talking and demanding things and wanting things. And sometimes God calls us into a relationship. God puts us in a relationship. God gives us passion in a relationship and we don't expect something from the other person. We just want to love them and pour ourselves out for them and invest in them. And that's what you're seeing between these two here. And so Jonathan loved David like he loved himself, which is the greatest compliment a guy can give because guys are pretty big fans of themselves, whether they'll admit it or not. And so here's what we can take from that. True friends are loyal. True friends are loyal. True friends are committed to one another. I know you're probably thinking, yeah, duh. There are many times that we don't embody this. There are many times that as Christ followers, people look at our loyalty or lack thereof and think, I don't, I don't need a friend like that. I think they were in love with the, with the concept of me or where my life was at the time, and they weren't really committed to me for the long haul. And so true friends are loyal. This passage goes on to say that there was a covenant between these two, that they were committed to one another. And this is what verse five says. It says, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. So this is what you need to know is their friendship was, was showcasing loyalty. David was just kind of unofficially made the commander of Saul's army. He was made the number two man. Guess who that spot belonged to? The king's son was the rightful owner of that spot. And so it wasn't just that Jonathan was willing to be friends with this guy that kind of had a thing with his dad and they were, they were arguing and, oh, that's awkward because you've probably had a friend that your parents hate, right? Let's be honest. And you were still loyal to that friend or let that friend get you in trouble. But, but imagine if that friend came over to your house and was like, hey, that new convertible your parents bought, they just gave it to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive that car from now on. And it's, they're also paying for my college. Did I, did I tell you that? Right? Sometimes, sometimes friends 
have something that, that you thought was yours or they're gonna step into a spot that you thought was yours. Maybe you have a friend at work and they get the promotion and you don't get the promotion. And yet in this example, we still see that Jonathan was loyal to David. Not just that, that he was loyal, but this is a guy who was committed and was, who, who was willing to ride out these things in life that were, were going to put them against each other. Look at this in uh, 1 Samuel 19. Go ahead and, and turn over there. Verse one, it says this. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. I know I'm skipping through some passages here, but it got pretty heated pretty quick, right? They're, they're wanting to die now. We've just got some ground to cover today, so just go with me here. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant, and now the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he brought David to Saul, and David served in the court just as before. So Jonathan is going to bat for David. It's not just that, that they met and, and there was this connection and like, hey, we like each other. Let's go shoot some bows and arrows together or something, right? It's not just that. It's that there was a loyalty and there was a commitment. And even as Jonathan was threatening his advancement and his office and his career and his title and his stature, he was committed to David. And not just that, his dad was going to kill the guy. He could have said, you know, I kind of like David, but if you kill him, I'll get my job back. I get to be the number two guy. All right, off with his head. No, his loyalty and his commitment was on another level. And so we look at that example, and I want us to just remember this, that, that true friends sacrifice and compromise for one another. True friends sacrifice and compromise for one another. And so you could say, what was wrong with Jonathan? Nothing was wrong with Jonathan. This guy wasn't a coward. He wasn't afraid of this position, but he loved David and was committed to David, and he knew that David was called to this position. And so as he was committed to him, he was willing to compromise his career path and his career trajectory, and he was willing to compromise his fame and whatever people wanted him to be. He was willing to put that all aside, and he was willing to sacrifice. That's what true friends do. Maybe, again, you're thinking, yeah, duh, I buy my friend Starbucks like once a month. I mean, I, I compromise for people. I sacrifice. Do you know how long it takes me to find quarters in the seats of my car for my friends? I love my friends. I'm gonna be honest. Look at Christian America. Look at church-going people. If they had a friend that was threatening their advancement, if they had a friend that was threatening their career, threatening their platform, threatening their title... Would they compromise for that person? Would they compromise their own advancement? Would they, would they show loyalty to that person? 
We're going to fast forward a, a little bit here and, and look at some, some other things. This is in uh, 1 Samuel 20. You don't even have to really read it, but I just want you to know that again, uh, there's, a, there's a plan that uh, some things are going to be done to David, and Saul is really not a fan of David. And so I want you to know this, that basically as, as this plan unfolds, Jonathan says, hey, I'm going to go out there, and if my father's going to kill you, I'll kind of give you a signal. Or I'll be shooting a bow and arrow, and, and you'll know as I, as I talk. Basically, I'm going to warn you if you're going to be killed, and you're going to have to run again. And, and so he, he does that, and unfortunately, David is about to really, really get hurt. And so it, it says that uh, if Jonathan told his servant that the arrows were beyond the target, David was to leave and not return. And so Jonathan, as, as David was watching uh, close by there, maybe off in the woods or in the brush, he told his servant that the arrows were beyond the target, meaning that David should flee because this relationship with Saul and David and all the awkwardness and Saul wanting him to be killed and wanting him to die and wanting him not to take the throne and wanting him not to be popular was threatening David and Jonathan's friendship. And so after uh, this happens, after Jonathan sends his signal to David, he sends his servant off and, and David comes over and the, the two of them cry together. Now again, you're in the room and you're a guy and you're thinking, I cried around a friend once, it was like 15 years ago and I'll never do it again. It wasn't very manly, right? True friends show emotional attachment. True friends show emotional attachment. Some of you were like, yeah, I cry every week. Some of, some of you get together and just talk about Chip and Joanna Gaines and cry, right? Some of the ladies in the room, it just makes you emotional thinking about redoing a farmhouse, right? But some of the guys are like, yeah, my buddy moved and I don't know, we like high-fived and he let whatever, you know. But here's the reality. If you're going to be a friend to someone, if you're going to be committed to someone, if you're going to be loyal to someone, if you're going to compromise for someone, if you're going to sacrifice for someone, you can and should and will have an emotional attachment to that person. So it's not just okay to show emotion when your friends leave or when your friends transition or when something bad happens to your friends. You should show emotional attachment when something happens to your friends. Now, some of you are like, I'm, I'm not a crier, all right? Emotions aren't just crying. You can show joy on behalf of your friends. You can hug your friends, even if you are not a hugger. You can go out of your way to pretend that you have emotions, fellas, and make sure that your friends know that they're loved and that you care about what's going on in their life. Friends show emotional attachment. True friends show emotional attachment. As we look on in, in this story, I don't think that this parallel is, is just a, a coincidence. This, this relationship between David and Jonathan is not just something that God was like, oh, I was writing this story. It turns out there's an example of friendship. I guess, I guess that's a bonus. Let's, let's put it in the Bible, right? No, I, I think that, that this example is pointing, like, like many and, and every example in the Old Testament, it's pointing forward to the life of Jesus. And Jonathan's true friendship is pointing forward to the friend that Jesus is to you and I. And so this is 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 to 18, page 229. It says this. One day near Horish, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encourage him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horish. It's pretty awkward, right? This Saul guy won't stop trying to kill David, and he's always pursuing him and going after him. Chapter after chapter after chapter, after chapter. If you were gonna to try to kill someone, you're a nice enough person, you would only do it for one or two chapters, right? And then you'd be like, all right, this has gone far enough. But this guy, he's obsessed. 
He's owned by this. And so this is something that's defining this phase of, of David's life. And yet Jonathan puts his life on the line and goes and finds this guy. And it says that he encourages him to stay strong in his faith in God. Here's the thing. He's, he's pretty intentional about that. He went and found him and he made that happen. This is one of the things that, that I really want to drive home today about, about true friendship, about biblical friendship and about this model of friendship. As we look at, at this model of, of friendship, we should be pointing one another to God's promises. True friends point people to God and point them toward God's promises. And all of these other things that we've been talking about, all these other things that we've been leading up to, they don't just exist for fun. God doesn't just say, hey, try to be loyal to those people that live next door to you, the people that you're always hanging out with. God doesn't just say, uh, compromise if it'll keep everybody happy. The reason that we are loyal the reason that we compromise and sacrifice and the reason that God lets us develop emotional attachment toward our friends is all for this final purpose so that we can point them toward God and toward his promises. The people that God has put in your life, it's your job, it's your duty, it's your privilege to point them toward God and his promises. And so Jonathan didn't have to put his life on the line. In fact, some people think that as he went and found him uh, in this time that he trekked as, as many as 30 miles. I mean, this guy basically just went and ran a marathon so he could say, hey, buddy, just want you to know God loves you. Some of you wouldn't run a marathon if I paid you a million dollars, right? Some of us couldn't run a marathon if someone paid us a million dollars. And certainly we may not run a marathon so that we could say, hey, friend, I just want to remind you of God's promises and make sure that you're aware of that as your life is kind of crazy right now. And yet I think we can learn from this example. Many of us as, as Christ followers, we're friends, we're acquaintances, we're nice people. We might take some people a casserole or something if they have a baby, but, but if, it was, if it was a day like today, would you, would you run 30 miles in the rain just to, to see a friend and say, you know what, God's put you on my mind, I know things have been crazy, I know things in, in marriage haven't been great, or I know that there was an issue with, with a pregnancy, or I know things are really stressful at your job right now, I know that your, your parent has cancer, I know things just are not great, and I want you to know that God's promises are true for your life, and I want you to know that God loves you. And I want to pray with you right now. True friends aren't just loyal. They don't just sacrifice. They aren't just committed. They aren't just doing good things in each other's lives. And they aren't just making sure that they're, they're kind of around and looking happy and sad. They make sure that they point each other to God's promises. Big idea. True biblical friends are loyal. They sacrifice and compromise. They show emotional attachment. And they point each other to God's promises. And so the question I want to ask you today as you interact with the people in your life, are those things true of you? It's not a coincidence where God has put you. It's not a coincidence the places and the, the workplace and the apartment or the house or the street or the family that God has put you in. And so as you're a friend, as you're committed to people, as you interact with people, do they see God in your life? Are the other things that you're doing pointing them to God? Are they setting up the fact that, that you have a moment to say God loves you, God cares for you, God's promises are true for you? Does your friendship point to God's friendship with us? You've probably heard us say this before, but the ultimate example of friendship is, is sacrifice and compromise and emotional attachment, and we, don't, we never see that better than what Jesus did for us. 
Even though we have sin in our lives, even though we've messed up, even though we have things that separate us from God and ways that we fall short and ways that we're not perfect, and I probably don't have to convince you today that you're not perfect. You're probably well aware of your own shortcomings. Even though those shortcomings and those things basically separate us from God and keep us out of his presence, Jesus loved us so much that he came and gave his life and died on the cross for us so that he could pay the price and pay the penalty for our sin and close the gap and restore relationship between us and the holy God that we were created to know and feel the love of. And when we understand who Jesus is and the friend he is and that he came just out of his own love and grace and gave his life for us, when we understand that and say, Lord, I I wanna live my life committed to you the way that you gave your life for me, that makes us what we call a Christian or a Christ follower. And, And the reason that we can do that is because Jesus has been the ultimate friend to us. And so I wanna ask you today, Are you being a friend like that? Are you looking at what Jesus has has done and are you saying, yeah, thanks for the commitment and sacrifice. I'm good. I'm I'm not gonna reciprocate any of that. Have you looked at the ultimate act of friendship and have you said, Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. My life is falling apart right now. My life is... It's not where I want it to be and yet you came and and gave yourself so that I could be whole, so that I could be made new, so that I could be found in you, so that I could know you. Have you accepted that ultimate gift of friendship and and if you have, how are you reflecting that in your life? Are you a friend that people would say, yeah, that's a a true biblical friend? I did some, uh, some inventory of my life and there's some things I've done in my life that I'm proud of and as I look back at my life, I don't know that I've always been a great friend thought of a guy that I was friends with in high school and and he started to go through a lot of things and at the time I I said to myself well I shouldn't I shouldn't be around him because I think there's some legal trouble coming and maybe that was the case in some way because I was underage and I I didn't I didn't want to be too close to that but was I a friend to that guy did he see Christ in me did I still point him to God and his promises or did I say hey I'm applying to colleges I'm out and then as as I was in college, I had a friend that, that got married and, and we were in the same major and we were gonna have the same life and things were gonna be great and he started to kind of go another path and, and I, I think at the time I just thought, well, we had so much in common before and now we kind of have nothing in common and he knows where I stand. Well, I hope he, I guess he can call me. I look back at some of the things I've done and like I said, sometimes I haven't been committed to a person. I've been committed to the, the persona or the, the theory or the caricature of this person because we had the same major, because we played the same sport, because we had the same friends. And as that started to change, I thought, no, we're, we're done here. I think one of the greatest ways that we can show the love of Christ in modern culture is to be a friend to people. A friend like Jesus is a friend to us. Jesus didn't say, oh, wow, you sinned again? Okay, well, my sacrifice on the cross didn't cover that. I'm, I'm out, or I, I didn't know you were gonna do that. You're even, you're even, your life's even more messy than I, than I thought it was. No, he is committed to us. He, he sacrificed for us. And he doesn't stop loving us, doesn't stop giving to us. Does the, the friendship that you display in your life and in your heart and in your actions, does it reflect the love of Jesus? Does it point people to the love of Jesus? Does it let them see the love of Jesus and the promises of God in you? I was, I was pretty convicted this week because I think, I think there's many things that I can get better at, but I think I can be a much better friend. I think I can learn a lot from the example of Jonathan and David. Let's pray together.
God, we are imperfect and we mess up and we fall short and we feel lost. God, if there's anyone in this room who's been searching, who's felt lost, who's felt incomplete, and maybe didn't know that uh, your son Jesus came as the ultimate act of friendship out of love and grace to extend himself and sacrifice himself for them, God, if they're hearing that for the first time, I pray that that is penetrating their heart. God, I, I want people to know today, we want to be clear that we can be made new in you, we can be found in you, and we can experience love and relationship in everything we were created to know by surrendering our life to you, by giving our life to you.